are going to stay where they feel valued. And part of valuing somebody is valuing their time because you don't get your time back. Once a minute has passed, it's passed. Welcome to Shift Talk, where we talk about the workforce challenges and trends that manufacturers and those in the supply chain industry are facing every day. I'm your host, Adam Raymond. And in each episode, we'll bring you fun and in-depth conversations with industry experts and thought leaders who are on the front lines of frontline work. I've got with me today, Mike and Tana Green with My Work Choice, celebrating 35 years in the staffing industry and 38 years, not 37 years of marriage, uh, which obviously puts you in a very exclusive club. So what I want to start with is what's the secret? I want to know what club that is. Well, I was one. In okay. <laughs> well, I got to tell you that there are a lot of neighbors of Prezi Bars that would say, how do you guys do that? Lots of really like good them. wine. They, they stare at us like they really wanted to answer. Yeah. So what is it? What? Well, I, I really believe that a long time ago, we set the roles of each of us have our own talents and each of us have our own areas of expertise. And if, as long as we stay in those lanes and absolutely support and respect each other in those lanes, we can make it and we can make it through anything. And when trouble arises, it's usually when somebody's climbed into somebody else's lane. Why is she leaning into me? Yeah. Mike, do you feel attacked? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I, I felt like she was looking straight at you when she said that. That was an egregious NASCAR infraction right there. <laughs> that was, hey, racing, racing is rubbing, right? Right, right. We used to have a little rap song that we would go, get in your lane, get in your lane, you're crossing mine, get in your lane. And we would sing this at corporate because it was like, I, you stepping in my, but it was funny. And you have to have humor. I think humor is probably one of the mm-hmm. biggest pieces of this is that you have to be able to laugh at yourself first mm-hmm. and uh you have to be able to be laughed at mm-hmm. and we've been able to do that in our marriage and in business it's like and nobody's perfect but you have to give each the lead way to do what you feel they're best at doing and support them i had a so. different i had a different take on that i think it was in my lane, in my lane, might be a pain, but I've been in my lane. There. <laughs> I'm going to bring that to my next marriage counseling session. I think that could be really helpful that my version is just, <laughs> just stay in my lane and everybody's happy. Well, what's really interesting, and I think what really surprises and impresses people, right? It's one thing to say we've been married 38 years. And we haven't murdered each other at this point, um, is you've also been in business together, right? Which is a whole other layer of complexity. Um, tell us a little bit about how you identified who was taking the lead, you know, how you would work together and tackle problems without getting in the other person's lane. Less of a best silence ring out. You take this. <laughs> I think, I think fundamentally when we realized that we have a um, consultant help us with all this years ago, that we realized that there are different people that are best suited for different phases of the, of the business, of the evolution of the business. And 
in the beginning stages, I was best one that was best positioned for phase one of the initial startup and growth phase and the things that I did that were painful, but had to be done. And, right. and then it, 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 it morphed into more of a culture of focus towards identifying the true purpose of the company and the respect for each individual's strengths within the company. And Taylor was best suited to take on that role from that phase forward. And it's kind of like, you gotta be ready to acknowledge the transitional phases and who is best suited to perform in each of those days. Well said. That's, yeah, that is really well said because companies do go through phases, right? Just like relationships, Yeah. right? I'm coming up to, I'm not old enough, but I'm coming up to 26 years of marriage. Wow. Uh, we were 12. So, um, yeah. And you go through phases, right? Um, I'm not the same person I was when I was 21. Right. I'm not the same person I was when I was 31, right. 41, whatever. Um, <clears throat> and you learn how to play to each other's strengths. Mm -hmm. Right. And I love how you guys have done that and complement each other. And find ways to say, hey, you're great at this. Why don't you take the lead in this phase of the organization? And the, just the amazing part that, that, and we'll dive into this a little bit more, is behind the why would you get in staffing, right? <laughs> it's not typically an industry people go, oh, I want to be rich and famous. I'm going to go into staffing. Um, especially with it being such a male-dominated industry, right? So tell me a little bit about that, Tana, is I, I love how people see you as this trailblazer. Um, kind of what led you to staffing in the first place? Well, for me, I was a career counselor. I was helping people decide what they were going to do with the rest of their lives when it came to go to school. And then, but my favorite part was when they got the job. And I realized that. And so I said, well, I want to do something to help people get jobs. And Mike and I were living in California and we're like, this would be a great thing that we both can do, that we can bring joy to other people's lives by helping them get jobs. So how do we do that? What kind of industry is that? And so we really started researching, what is it? And staffing stood out as that was the place that you could help people get jobs. And it was back in the day where you walked in your office and pulled out a little form that went into a metal box. You mean paper? Like yeah. physical paper? No computers. There was no computers. For our younger listeners, could you, um, maybe we could show an example on screen of what that is? <laughs> it was just like a gray piece of paper, a little bit. Oh, uh, okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that. Four, five, one. Anyway. And, and then Mike would be cold calling and what an order for a job and mm -hmm. you have to use a what? A payphone. They're calling over. There were no cell phones. Um, so wow, if you think about this, and I, we may be kind of going into another area of the conversation. Well, go ahead. To me, my day was always, I'd get up and I'd put on my armor, figuratively speaking, and <laughs> I was going to go out there and have to call, empty cold calls. Yeah. Right. A week, excuse me. Oh, a week. Hey, a day is even better, Mike. Why? Yeah, you were not hitting quota. 
So 80 cold calls face-to-face out in the mm-hmm. field, driving my car, walking into office building, walking upstairs, up elevator, barging in on reception, trying to get in to see and be decision maker to sell traditional staffing. Mm-hmm. 80 face-to-face events per week, I had to do it. And then followed up by these oh, phone calls to try to get appointments. So right to overcome this amazing amount of fear of picking up that phone and mm-hmm. then doing a phone cold call, right. which is just double jeopardy. Okay. So <laughs> I finally mastered the fear, I think, of doing that. But the combination of those two things was just so Model T era. Um, and then getting an order out there in the field, which I would do on occasion. Mm-hmm. I had to go to a payphone to call in the order. And then. And who was on the other end of the phone? The order taker. Right. Me. Ah, okay. Now it's coming together. So I would be processing people in the office, testing their secretarial skills and their communication skills, because back then we were mainly all clerical. And then he would get a job or data entry clerk. Which I don't think they used. Our to very before. first order was a data entry clerk, two stories <laughs> off in the building. Never forget it. Wow! And, and so our first question was, "What do we do first? Find the recruits or get an order?" So you know, which comes first, chicken or the egg? Chicken or egg? Yeah. And finally, we understood it. Just get the order and build it, and they will come. And that's sort of what happened. Yeah. Point. Yeah. Nothing. Not much changes far as that is concerned, right? Right. Well, that, that's actually what I want to dig into next, right? The, the fundamentals of you need, it's a supply and demand, right? It's two sides of a network of people who need workers and people who need work. Right. Now, the way that work looks or the types of activities they're doing has changed over the last 35 years. Yes. What has helped you lean into that change? Because one of the things we see uh, is a lot of organizations struggle with this, right? Well, this is why, if it's not broken, why fix it? Well, we do know it's now broken, but they still struggle with this idea of, yeah, that's for everybody else, but new concepts, new ideas, new technology won't work here. How did you embrace this idea of, well, as we see changes in the workforce, as we see changes in the job marketplace, we have to adapt, right? Where did that come from? Well, I mean, it, it was so broken. That industry itself was so broken in that your average turnover in the country for staffing was 433% a year. Yeah, that sounds broken. That's the first sign that you go, something's wrong here. And you kind of go back in history and when we first started, usually that the people were strictly a temporary. I mean, hmm. they were there to fill in for a pregnancy or a uh, vacation. Um, then it became, it morphed after 10 years or so that to, but we want to use this as a means to try before we hire. Hmm. So, and the, yes. the temp to perm began to take hold where it was like, 
okay, the everybody, and I say that because this is what we believe in our world. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to work for the company. Everybody right. wants that full-time job. And so back then, that's, we believed that then. And so we hired people that wanted to go on full-time. Well, then people weren't taking the job. They were taking them and quitting and taking them and quitting. And it was like, what is this? And why is this? He stopped and he said, what is it that customer wants? Customer wants a reliable workforce, right? Right. Shows up and does the job. But associates didn't want the full-time 40, 50-hour-a-week work. A certain percentage does, but the other percent needs the flexibility to live life. So it's like, why can't you marry the two, especially Mm -hmm. with technology at your fingertips? There's got to be a way to program an app and a a website that allows people to do their application, take a job, and the company gets the people when they're available. And I'll never forget when we pitched this to our first client to say, we want to take absenteeism off the table and just let people work when they want to work. And they said, have you lost? Lost. Not? You, you, you <laughs> lost it, right? But you know what? You work. Yeah, I gotta it tell you, there's another aspect of this 40,000 foot level about change in general. Years ago, we heard the story about the frog and the pot of water. Okay. Mm-hmm. Frog, you put a frog in another pot of water and it gradually turn up the heat. Frog won't jump out until it reaches a boiling point. Then it's too late. And the frog. Well, right. We were pitching this concept to our clients about change. But it took us a while to really realize that we needed to internalize that same concept relative to ourselves. Hmm. So when you know finally that you need to change yourself and, and don't fear, because most fear is because Change could, could, you just don't want to consider change and you have this fear, but if you just said, I will start making changes within my company, that will eventually eliminate a lot of those fears. Fear is ultimately what turns you on the toast if you don't do anything about it. Or boiled frog. Yeah. Fear, yeah. fear yeah. without the, the, the proper focus on changing uh, from within. Is, is, is left un, unchecked. You're just going to toast. People are afraid of change. They, they don't know what's on the other side. And we tend to make decisions on what we associate less pain with. Right. So if I've always done it this way, there's got to be a little tweak that we can do to keep it the way it is mm-hmm. instead of a drastic change. Um, right. Drastic change to me means, uh, no, it's not going to work. Can't work here. Um, and they're afraid of failure. They're afraid of stepping out and doing something new, even though that new thing is going to bring everything we're looking for from that reliable, steady workforce. All they have to do is adapt to the change and say, okay, like Mike said, open the doors. I'm going to let it in and they can exactly get what we tell them they're going to get. And that is that steady, reliable workforce that they're looking for. You can reach a jumping off point to actually start making changes if you're a small organization that you're pretty nimble. But when you're a big organization like our clients are, you have some layers of individuals all with different attitudes about priorities. 
getting each layer to it, but to, to take on the change, man, that's the thing. Right. The trick is getting, how do you identify, you know, we're all humans, right? What's in it for me? And what do I need out of this to look like a hero? Um, what I'm curious too is how did you overcome your own fears of that change, right? Yes, we have a, you developed a, a business that encourages your partners to change, but you had to do a lot of change, right? You started a flexible work model 10 years ago, back before anybody was talking about it. What helped you say, you know what? It sounds a little, although I don't even think you guys even thought it was scary. I know you too well, but walk, walk me through what enabled you to face down that fear and say, you know what? Let's, you got to try this. I think it was clear vision. I think it was such a vision from the vantage point that we had as a staffing company, we could see both sides. Right. We knew what had to happen to get to the end result for the client having the reliable, steady workforce and the workforce saying, yeah, I love this and I'm going to keep repeating this ever and ever. We saw it. It was clear as day and there was no turning back at that point because once mm. you see it, you can't go back to doing the old thing because you're just as part of, you're part of the problem at that point. And I don't ever want to be associated with I want to be the solution. And I think that's the way Mike and I have always felt. Uh, we didn't go at it to change the world. We went at it to make it better and to empower the working world and to bring that reliable workforce to the client. That's what we, that's what we went out to do. Um, but it is disrupting an entire industry because it is changed. But it's what's needed. What's the old adage in necessity is the mother of invention. Well, well, after selling one company and realizing that what we had left was this large uh, bulk of hourly workforce, light industrial business, and going, we know this whole industry is broken. Yes. What the heck are we going to do with this? Because hmm. its future is, 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 there is no future for this in its current state. Right. So the necessity was, you yeah. better make some rapid changes or you're just going to be a footnote. But I will say, Adam, sure. there's still yeah. like, doesn't mean we're without fear. Okay, good. That makes me feel a little better. That's a good, <laughs> that's Especially a good thing. when the pandemic hit us at the point it did in the middle of our, our launch. So, um, right. you know, I, I can't say that it's without fear, but the overpowering purpose of knowing that the change has to happen and that we can be the voice to do that drives you every day to wake up and do what you do. I mean, it really is, it's, it's what we have to do in this industry and it's, we're just not going to give up and we're having such great success that why would you ever turn back? You can't. Um, you can't. <laughs> yeah. And, and you look at our clients that have done it. They're not going to go back either. You can't put that right. back in a box. Well, yeah. Can't put that genie back in the bottle. Can you? We can do a rap song about that, I'm sure. There you go. Yeah, let's let's work on that. We'll ask uh, ChatGPT to help us write it. That's right. A rap on that. Well, speaking of, yes, yeah. Speaking of technology, where things are heading as an industry, where do you see 
staffing and employment going in the next, let's just even say five, 10 years, because it seems like things are, things are changing weekly, but we could look into our crystal ball for a moment. Where, where do you see things progressing? Well, um, when, when I, when I look at the two, they're one, it used to be client was here and the Mm -hmm. staffing company was over here and they were kept in their box with my work choice. They're now one fluid unit that works together to make it whole. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the future and technology allows us to do that, but it's, I've got my employees and you've got yours and really you can't run fluid like that. So huh. your permanent people have to be able to say, Hey, I need to take this time off. And then you've got to have the people on this side that say, Hey, I'm here. I'm going to take it. And it has to be driven through technology. So when I think about it, I think the future is uh, a fluidity of the client and the contingent services. And I don't think we'll be called staffing anymore. I don't know what will be called. <laughs> there are probably a few names out there for staffing companies, but I think you mean, what does that partnership look like? Right? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Like any industry, everybody is trying to, to see the future as a consolidation of all competition into one size fits all solution. We're no different. Everybody's looking to be that top of the pyramid, one size fits all solution and take over all of the, all of the other options. How do you give the answer? Yeah. I don't know that anything will ever get there, uh, even our industry, but I sure like the odds of, of my work choice model, making that climb up that pyramid towards that very top. No, that's. I, I like your outlook for the next few years. Um, yeah, another trend we're seeing too, to your point earlier, Tana, is once people have learned that they can be in control and they have a certain level of empowerment and they have leverage, right? The companies got very comfortable with having it for a very long time. Uh, there were lines out the door of people lining up saying, I'll do whatever it takes to get this job and keep it. That has swung very much in the other direction. Um, we were just talking before we started recording about Harvard business review coming out with a report saying you can't keep ignoring your frontline workers, right? They under, they know what kinds of things are out there and that's what they want. Right. Uh, do you see that continuing, especially after going through the pandemic, a lot of companies I think we're hopefully, uh, wishfully thinking that things were just going to go back to well, the way they used to be. Do you think that's going to happen on the worker side? Um, no, I think the workers are going to continue to demand more and it's not just, Hey, I think that biggest fear of the client is that, yeah, I'll price myself out of the market. I can't just keep raising it. I think right. they need to look at a holistic approach of the, you know, the most the upward mobility, the flexibility, all of that has to be rolled into one. People are going to stay where they feel uh, valued and part of valuing somebody is valuing their time because you don't get them back. What's a minute has passed. So I think people are realizing that in life and companies are going to have to come forward to say, 
I've got to make it more interesting and more challenging for them in the way that they're learning and that they're growing. And money is, I think, secondary on all the polls I've seen. Flexibility still is at the top of everything. Yes. No, I, I, I think you're spot on. Um, all right. Well, really appreciate your time and your uh, sharing your innermost secrets on business success and relationship success. Um, and really enjoyed this time getting to know both of you better. Um, incredible work over the last 35 years and wish you the best in the next decade or two to come. Well, we couldn't do it without you guys. So thanks. Absolutely. Thanks, Adam. 